0: Hello and welcome to the ToxPod, I'm Peter Stockham This episode features some interviews I recorded at the recent TF meeting in Versailles Hope you enjoy I'm here with Michael Scholes, and he's just given a talk on non-substance related sleepiness using metabolomics Michael's a PhD student in Zurich And uh, Michael, you've got some very interesting questions after your topic. People are obviously interested in this new area.
1: Yeah, I mean, that affects us all, doesn't it? I mean, we all have to sleep at night and uh, it's a topic that everybody can somehow relate with.
0: Exactly. Everyone feels terrible after a sleep, but it's obviously one of the major contributors to driving accidents and workplace accidents. And yet there's no real definitive way to measure how sleepy someone is or was.
1: Well, technically there is, but it's just like police officers do not carry an EEG with them, nor can they uh, interpret it. Um, But yeah, we need definitely some objective markers for it. Um, That would be very helpful, yeah.
0: I thought it was interesting how you started off. uh, You knew what the objective was. The objective was to have uh, a marker, identify a marker in a substance or a, a bodily fluid that was easy to sample and it's going to be relevant. So you skipped urine, you skipped blood and you went straight for oral fluid. I thought that was a wise move. And has this sort of thing ever been done before?
1: Yeah, well, we have a limited knowledge with our fluid yet, so that was also a challenge in our laboratory to, to keep with the matrix, but it um, turned out it, it is quite easy to handle. Well, yeah, but the advantages are really there, and the time delay to get a blood sample is sometimes severe, like several hours, and, you know, you can be awake, away.
0: So, yeah, so you, might have, you might be out of that period of sleepiness. By the time you get a blood sample, you've probably woken up a bit. And maybe uh, because the oral fluid may stay in your mouth a bit longer, unlike blood where it gets processed quite quickly, I guess.
1: That too. Also, it's non-invasive. So police officers can do that as some sort of roadside testing. And yeah, it doesn't even require much collaboration from, from the suspect. So yeah.
0: And when it comes to sample preparation, you um, basically do a protein precipitation. And what, what followed after that?
1: Uh, it was just a dilute and shoot afterwards. So um, easy. Easy sample preparation um, can be automated.
0: Um, and this is on a high resolution instrument, so you just did a, a scatter bomb approach and just tried to detect every compound that you could. Is that the basic thing that you're doing here for metabolomics?
1: Yeah, in an untargeted setting, yes, as many as possible. And yeah, we will see what, what comes out of it. Of course, in the end, you have to do the conversion to target it again.
0: And it was. The work you're doing now is really just a, a preliminary um, exercise to see whether it was feasible to look at me- metabolites in oral fluid. Is that what you...
1: Yeah, that was just a proof of concept. So we are currently performing an exploratory study in the sleep laboratory in Zurich with our collaborator. And uh, yeah, there's a thousand things you have to consider. Um, it's basically everything is somehow affecting sleep and that's um, it's interesting, but it's also hard work, I can yeah, tell you. Yeah.
0: It's a, the it's a very beginning of a very interesting project Um, So in this project, you kept people awake for 40 hours, not necessarily you, but the sleep laboratory kept people awake for 40 hours. Uh, That is quite a long time. I probably did that the other day when I was flying over to this place and I couldn't even catch a train properly afterwards. But how do you go about getting approval to do that sort of thing?
1: I mean, when was your last party night? So, uh, when you completely omitted a full night, that would also make 40 hours uh, if you go back to bed the next evening. Yeah? Okay, yeah.
0: But <laughs> well, I guess you're sleeping, sitting in a sleep lab would be
1: boring. Yeah, well, we play board games. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> if you ever tried Monopoly, it's like to the last. Uh, the last bit uh, yeah that can take some while but yeah it definitely is hard but it's also the like weekend scenario of a, a group of young people that they go out partying uh, come back in the morning or they, the next sleep they have is actually the next evening so they completely right. omit a night and that's actually what we were targeting with that yeah,
0: yeah. okay so it's sort of a real world scenario yeah. Yeah, yeah well this is going to be very interesting in the future to see what you come back uh, with year after year on your project and I really hope you can uh, move forward in this area
1: Absolutely. thank you very much Peter
0: Thank you Michael. Okay I'm here with uh, Brigitte Deschanel, and she's going to tell us a little bit about her talk which was about case studies and automation for forensic tox practices. You were doing some magic in there with the program called R. Can you tell us a little bit about what R is?
2: Right so uh, R is the programming language and then I also use regularly Studio, which is an integrated development environment and so that's sort of the user-friendly interface you can use to write and execute our code.
0: Okay, so the examples you were showing were um, you were doing some quite amazing, we'll call it magic, coming from (laughs) uh, some places you do not have uh, advanced limb systems. So you were able to press a button and you could get reports, uh, data from reports and uh, toxicology PDF reports and summarize them all in a document. You could get uh, summaries of um, run system suitabilities and things like that.
2: Right, so that's that's basically our situation, that we don't have really a good LIMS system. Actually, I I started at the lab in 2010 and they've been promising us a new LIMS since that time. I'm still waiting. Um and so yeah, we had to find something else that, that would work and R and our studio are free, they're from a company and so IT can vet it and install it on our computers. So that's that's great as well. And yeah, so we've applied it in a ton of different situations in our lab and as you said a few of those situations are annual statistics report and we also do trend monitoring with it. So we have interactive dashboards um, to do trend monitoring and we also have interactive dashboards to um, look at the DUID or DUI statistics. So, so these are just a few of the applications that we have.
0: Yeah. So if someone comes along and says, how many cases of uh, Alprazolam did you have last year in driving, a driving case, you can basically pull that information out.
2: Exactly. Well, the way we built the, the dashboard is to go along the different variables that you we have, so different types of case, um, so if you look along the suspect characteristic, the the um, gender, the age uh, the re- administrative region you can also look at the different substances that were detected, you can look at the date range, you can basically any variable that you find interesting and you code in there then that you can use that as a filter. So,
0: And it's often difficult to describe to IT people who are building your limbs exactly what you want and uh, with the advantage of doing it yourself is uh, you already know what you want so it's much easier uh, can anyone do this?
2: Anyone can do this. I'm a I'm a chemist by by trade, right? I'm not I'm not an IT person, I'm not a mathematician, but uh, I, I sort of started to get into R when I started to do some statistics project and learn just a bit by bit. So you you start to build your knowledge bit by bit. And um, the cool thing with R is because it's free, there's such a huge user base uh, online. And so you can uh, find the answer to pretty much any question by Googling it. Um, so. so in
0: your talk, you said the most powerful tool is a Google, a Google search. Yeah.
2: Yes. Yes, yeah. exactly. And,
0: and even better, we've got a. You've now started up a little user group to help people get started in R. Yeah,
2: exactly. So I decided to use this opportunity to to launch a uh, forensic toxicology R user group. Uh, so there are users groups and plenty of other areas um, and I thought this was lacking in forensic toxicology and so yeah you can find the answer to whatever you want online but sometimes it's helpful to have people that are working in the same area and uh, to have sort of a shortcut to explain stuff right uh, so if I talk to another forensic toxicologist I don't need to explain what a calibration curve is or what a mass spec is they already know and so that that kind of uh, streamlines the conversation so it's a group to share tips and tricks and resources and and uh, ask for help when you're stuck and um so right now it's it's uh, basically a logo and a form online to register and uh, i just want that to grow along the needs of the users so if that's something you're interested in you know you can find me easily on social media and ask me for for the link to register and we'll we'll start that in the next few months
0: okay so if you want to become a magician like Brigitte <laughs> Contact there on Twitter or any of the other social media panels.
2: Yes, exactly.
0: Okay, thank you very much. Thank you. Hello, Svante Vikingson. He's uh, recently appointed the chair of the TF NPS committee. Thanks for joining me, Svante.
3: Hi, it's very nice to be here. My first time on the Talkspot. It's
0: very exciting. Just for some background, tf has got a bunch of committees like the Communications Committee, the Ethics Committee, that sort of thing, and the NPS committee is focused obviously on NPS. Can you tell us a little bit about the NPS committee focus?
3: Yes, so the NPS committee was founded by Dr. Simon Elliott at the Ghent meeting in 2018. And it has a a few different objectives. The first of it is to collaborate with the UNODC around their tox portal, which is a portal where you can deposit toxicology data from your lab And then you can see what's going on with NPSs in in different labs, sort of in real time. And it's also used to prepare some of the newsletters. And um, we're also assisting in coordinating and network between different NPS committees. The main collaborator there is the soft committee that has a, a corresponding NPS committee. We also monitor NPS trends and produce bulletin articles where appropriate. The committee really strives to represent different parts of the world and to provide content um, mainly for the bulletin regarding on what's going on. And we're also here to provide guidance and advice concerning NPS when required uh, and to keep a um, discussion going on NPS.
0: It's very important because often uh, labs can feel quite isolated, but it's important that people communicate what... Uh, NPS they're detecting in their region the UNODC portal is quite important TF's got quite a a commitment to uh, maintaining the relevance of that in order to join that all you have to do is just go to the UNODC portal right
3: yes they have a portal uh, site on their website and you can't do much there because it's it all requires a login and to get a login up in the top right corner you have a little register button that brings you to a, to a form you have to fill out to get a, a login. And also remember that to, to be able to take advantage of all this data, you do have to deposit data at least a little bit from your own laboratory.
0: In terms of the current committee, we have you in the United States as well as Sherry Kasinko. We've got representatives from Argentina, Finland, Japan, New Zealand, Korea, and me in Australia. What are we looking to do in, in the future?
3: Yes, um, I do believe that we recently lost a committee member from from Africa, Alicia Evans, and, and we are definitely trying to replace and, and get another member from Africa. Um, we have some, some names that we're working on, and and we'll get back to all of you shortly and and, and announce who will be the new members of the of the committee. We're going forward. I think it's an important thing that you say about labs being isolated with NPS, and a place where we can make a difference is is to keep that communication and that discussion going. I don't think it should be too formalized. It's NPS trends. It's are both global and local. What's what's happening in Australia is not the same thing as happening in South America. Sometimes it's the same drugs, but they're used in a different way or they're distributed in a different way. So I think trying to formalize this too much causes delays and and makes the information obsolete. So I think just getting people together and and let laboratories and and scientists have that discussion with each other is important. Um, I do think sharing through the bulletin, is a more rapid way and then more informal way where we can have the committee members share what's going on in their area. I, we're also looking to try and have an, an open sort of informal meeting at each TF the annual meeting. I have no idea where where it's gonna be in the schedule in Rome, but we're gonna open it up to all TF member. So where you can come and, and talk to the committee. You will be able to bring, if you have any questions, if you have any problems that you're dealing with in your in your lab and and sort of put that out there and and get some input from the committee members and other members TF members that that might have any ideas for you so I'm very much looking forward to that next year
0: so the the open meeting that we're going to be having at every future TF meeting is going to be a good chance for people to share their problems but It's not necessarily the fact that they're the only people having that problem. Everyone seems to have the same problems when it comes to NPS. So um, we're hoping that people will be very open and sharing what issues they're having and also sharing what NPS they have in their area. And like I say, keeping it informal at these sort of meetings is very important because if we start getting too formal, then this information just can't get out past bureaucracy.
3: No, and there's not going to be any... There's not going to be any records. There's not going to be any abstracts you have to send in or, you know, because that's another thing, you know, when when you prepare an abstract and get it approved by your laboratory director to send it or whatever, and then it's, you know, a process of maybe five or six months before the actual meeting, what was current back then is not necessarily current now. Um, and I also know that a lot of people doing a lot of, of good work in this area are, are really busy and, and putting together something formal is just something that you just don't have the time and, and the capability of doing a little bit depending on how much your laboratories are allowed to share too. Yes. Um, and this way we can just talk about things. I, I do think another important path uh, and an activity for the committee is to create start sort of an expert discussion on how we work with nps not necessarily which nps are present and 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 the trends go but how we deal with with screening for for nps for example how do you use resources like the high-res nps library to screen for um, for npss and how do you merge that with requirements on validation, requirements on accreditation, Mm. that sort of thing. I I think there is a way to do it, but I do think that we we can learn from each other and and learn how to do it in a good way. Another area where MPS is, is sort of unique is when we have to testify, mainly based on the fact that the drugs have a similarity to a drug we already know and how you do that and what's appropriate and not appropriate. I think there are a few areas like that where, where we as a community could come together and, and provide some guidance and suggestions for laboratories and practitioners out there.
0: And when it comes to accreditation, this is now a core duty that we have to do is to interpret NPS and is to analyze NPS. And the fact that existing accreditation requirements might require some laboratories to validate everything to the nth degree can restrict the ability for laboratories to perform their essential duties which is to inform people about the NPS detected so it's quite a a gray area in some ways.
3: Yes I I, I agree I I don't think for many laboratories the, the choice is not validation to the nth degree as you said or less validation, the, the options are figuring out how to do it with a limited re- amount of resources or not doing it at all. And and the question is, do we best serve our community by not reporting anything at all, or mm. do we best serve the the community by reporting things with the appropriate caveats?
0: Yeah, appropriate caveats is the, is the key thing, I think, yes. So in terms of your experience with NPS analysis, you've been involved with... Um, MPS for quite a while now, Svante. Can you tell us some of the history that you have with them?
2: Yes.
3: So um I'm actually not a forensic toxicology um PhD. I, I got my PhD in, in medical science, working with clinical pharmacology and started doing metabolism of some of the um the prescription drugs that are out there. And and that was that was tough work. And then back then I was in Sweden and Sweden got hit pretty hard by the synthetic cannabinoids at one point. And we just realized that we had all the tools to do metabolism and all these new drugs that were used frequently at the time. So we have started doing metabolism in the hope of figuring out how to measure cannabinoid metabolites in urine, which is, you know, a monumental feat that you can just keep working on and you'll you're never going to get any further closer <laughs> to to doing it getting the reference materials to measure cannabinoid metabolites in urine is 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 very very difficult to get them in time but that's where I started um moved on when Sweden got hit by the fentanyl analogs we moved on to do metabolism on fentanyls and when you start working on on fentanyls eventually we got interested in in, in potency and, and started moving on to um, trying to measure the potency of, in the beginning, synthetic cannabinoids and and, and synthetic opioids, um, the the CB one receptor and the mu opioid receptor. Then we realized we had a big group of stimulants that we couldn't tell much about. So we, one of the last things I did while well in Sweden, was to. Um, work with them to develop a method to measure the potency of stimulants. And we're hoping to publish that very soon, actually.
0: What's the mechanism that you use to measure the potency in that lab?
3: Yeah, so what we're looking at there is inhibition of of drug transporters, the dopamine, norepinephrine, and serotonin transporters. And the the way they have it set up is that they have um, a cell line that is not human and does not express these transporters naturally. And then there's cloned in one transporter in each cell line. Uh, And then we look at a substrate, a fluorescent substrate, actually. So we can see how much transport is in there. And then we see how much drug is needed to stop that transport.
0: Well, thank you very much for joining us, Vanta. And we'll
3: hopefully see you in Rome. I'm looking forward to see you in Rome, too. And it's been a pleasure to be here. Thank you.
0: Hello, Jean-Claude, and welcome to the ToxPod. Thanks for coming on. Hello. Good morning or good afternoon. Jean-Claude, you were the chair of the committee that organized a meeting in Versailles just recently. Congratulations, and you must be relieved it's over.
4: Thank you very much.
0: And how long did it take to prepare for that meeting?
4: Oh, uh, a long time. Uh, we obtained uh, this meeting in 2018 in Gantz, in the meeting of Gantz, the Chaff meeting, Uh, The reservation of the Convention Center and the boat on the Seine were contracted uh, in 2019. That's been three years ago, before the COVID pandemic. Uh, This was a reason why it was very difficult to organize this meeting, because we we will not be sure uh, about the current situation and restriction related to to COVID, and the number of delegates uh, that will be able to attend at the time of the meeting in September of this year. This was very difficult. And uh, for example, while planning for this event, we were often asked uh, to confirm the number of delegates and it was impossible to answer. I I said maybe two hundred and up to I don't know six, seven hundred. and as you can imagine, this was not the same <laughs> to organize in order to logistic. and so it was very uh, very complicated, very difficult.
0: It must have been very stressful for you. It worked out very well in the end, and this was also a meeting with the French Society, the SFTA, and you had a, a parallel session with those guys.
4: Yes, uh, the SFTA parallel session occurred on only on one day, yeah, on Wednesday, and on the morning, uh, a continuing education meeting was conducted with six lectures, and the topics was uh, the cannabidiol with all the uh, pharmacologic aspects, pharmacodynamics. Uh, pharmacokinetics, its toxicity, and uh, uh, its uh, current uh, use. And uh, on the Wednesday afternoon, we had uh, 12 oral communication on three topics. Uh, we were uh, 150 registered people from France, and I think that uh, almost uh, all of us attended this session, uh, the session during the Wednesday. And so she said it's for continuing
0: education. Is that part of the requirement to be a toxicologist in France?
4: Yes, yes, it's mandatory. We have to do uh, uh, one one time by here. We have to do a uh, uh, continuing uh, education session, yes. It's uh, mandatory in France, yes. So you chose Versailles as a venue. Why did you choose this city? Oh, why? Uh, you, you, you know that France did uh, two other meetings, um, Paris in 2002 and two, and Martinique in 2008. And so we thought that uh, it was now time to have a third meeting in France. And we decided to meet in Versailles. I think this city is, uh, is uh, known worldwide uh, for its uh, palace. And moreover, for me, I teach at the Faculty of Medicine of the University of Versailles. And for me, it was very important to do this meeting uh, in this uh, city of Versailles. It was a great location.
0: It's just a beautiful little city. Everything's so close uh, lots of restaurants, lots of you know historic sites around the place. It was um, a really good experience for all the delegates. And a very great palace. <laughs> oh, it's an amazing palace, yeah. So you'd be happy with the number of
4: delegates. You had over 600. Uh, yes, we were exactly 647 registered people in this meeting and uh, coming from uh, 54, uh, 54 different countries. And it was just at the
0: very end of the worst part of COVID, I guess. So it's fantastic that you could get such a good crowd there. So tell us a little bit about um, the work that you conduct, Jean-Claude. Where are
4: you based? Um, I'm the head of the uh, Department of uh, Pharmacology and Toxicology in, the, uh, in my hospital, the Hospital of Garche, which is near, very near uh, from Versailles. And uh, I teach pharmacology and toxicology at the Faculty of Medicine of Versailles. And uh, I'm expert. I'm an expert at the Apple Court of Versailles and um, also in the Court of Cassation, which is uh, that means that I, I'm an expert, a national expert in France. Can you tell us a little bit about
0: how forensics, uh, forensic toxicology works in France? Is it mainly by private laboratories or government laboratories?
4: Yeah, so in France, uh, there are three types of laboratories which conduct analysis in forensic toxicology for the police or or, or the coroner or the prosecutor. Uh, First, the police laboratories. There are uh, seven spread over the French territory. Secondly, the private laboratories. There are about uh, 10 or 12 in France. And thirdly, university laboratories like mine. And uh, depending on the region of of France, the coroner and the police usually work with uh, one or two types of these uh, laboratories. Uh, in the west of Paris, when I, I am, uh, I'm, I'm alone, and the police and uh, the coroner are working only with uh, my lab, uh, university, university uh, laboratory.
0: Okay, so is it divided into the west part of Paris? they send you their samples, I see. Yeah,
4: yeah all the West past of Paris uh, um, uh, are working with my, um, my lab, yes.
0: And what sort of research have you been involved in lately?
4: My research is uh, about uh, um relationship between pharmacokinetics and pharmacodynamics of uh, different drugs, including medicinal drugs and the drug of abuse. I, I did... Uh, Some years ago, uh, a study, which name was Vigican, about uh, cannabis. Uh, We tried, we give um, a a cigarette of cannabis to volunteers, chronic user and occasional user. And so we did uh, pharmacokinetics during 24 hours. And we did uh, in parallel uh, seven driver tests on uh, simulators and uh, also test of uh, reaction time. So I'm working on the uh, pharmacokinetic, pharmacodynamic relationship of different substances and also uh, forensic toxicology. Of, of course, uh, with the NPS, the new psychoactive substances, we are one of the two uh, referent laboratories in France. There are two uh, laboratories referent for the Ministry of the Health. And we are one of these uh, uh, two laboratories.
0: Well, thanks again for joining me, Jean-Claude. That was um, good of you to come back on. Couldn't quite catch up with you at the uh, the final night. Things were a little bit hectic, but it was good to catch up with you at the end.
4: Yeah, yeah thank you. Thank you to you. I thank think it's very important. This talk is very important for, for the CAFT. Thank
0: you very much. We enjoy doing it. It's been great. I we hope might- you enjoyed this meeting. <laughs> we did. Thank you. We might see you in Rome.
4: Yes, yes, now in worm. Yes, exactly.
0: Thank you very much for joining us.
2: Registration is now open for the 61st annual TAFT meeting taking place from the 2nd to the 6th of September 2024 in St. Gallen, Switzerland. The early bird rate is only available until May 31st, so be sure to register soon for the reduced rate at www.taft2024.org. We look forward to welcoming you to St. Gallen for an inspiring, engaging and enlightening conference.